Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you give us. And on this commitment day, we do bless you uh, and pray for generous hearts and minds uh, that we might give towards the needs of others and to extend your kingdom. And Father, we do thank you this day for the gift of prayer. And I pray that you would still our hearts and give them great confidence that you are a God who calls us to know you, to serve you, and that prayer is something that is real and works. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, this series, if you are a visitor with us, has been looking at a very simple question, what if? And it's a very powerful question to ask, what if? Uh, What if God was really there? What if the gospel was really true? Uh, What if we really were a family? What if we really had gifts to serve people uh, in ministry? And today we're looking at the question of what if God really answered prayer? What difference would that make? Now, my own journey in this on prayer began before I actually knew the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, before I was a Christian. Uh, I had seen changed lives profoundly with some people who were my age when I was about 19, 20, and they attributed it to Jesus. And so I became kind of uh, interested in this. And in fact, I was challenged to find out about the Christian faith by beginning with a prayer. And I never forget praying. It was um, the first term of the year, 1986, and it was about 1.30 in the morning. And I prayed, God, if you're there, help me know you. It was a very simple prayer. But I remember it was like a jolt of lightning went through my body at that moment. And there was a sense of which I'd walk through a doorway when, uh, which I wouldn't come back from. And I was on a journey that would take me to places that would be new Uh, scary but life-changing. Now my journey to find out the Christian faith continued on. I started to pick up the Gospels and read them and I read the Bible and I read Mark's Gospel in particular and I became convicted that the story that I had, if I can say, dismissed as fiction uh, was actually real. And this Jesus uh, was not just a fairy tale, he was actually a real figure of history. More than that, he died for me and risen again and I needed to give my life to him. And I was getting very close to, if I can say, making a decision to become a Christian. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, I used to play a fair bit of sport. And that, up, that weekend, I'd played three competitive games. I'd played cricket on the Saturday, and I used to play uh, in the Major League of Baseball and played two games on the sun- Sunday. And I still wanted to go to church, and I walked to church, and it was about quarter to seven at night. And I remember thinking, I'm going to fall asleep because I'm exhausted after playing cricket all day Saturday and baseball all day Sunday. And so I just prayed, God, please help me stay awake. It was a very simple prayer. I said, I'd really like to listen to what that preacher has to say. And I remember thinking, um, just help me. Now, isn't that a good prayer to pray when you go to church, I reckon? Everyone should pray that as you come in the door. Because I know that feeling. The minister gets up and you start to snooze off. Anyway... It was time for the minister to get up and he did something that he never did before and he never did afterwards. He looked down at me and I had that snoozy feeling coming on when your kind of mind goes a bit cloudy and he looked down and he said, Pete Kerr, will you wake up? And I was literally sitting where Pete Kerr is in the second row and I remember thinking, good grief, God, I'm awake. Yes, what do you want to say to me? It was, it was just kind of bizarre. Now, some people might dismiss that as a coincidence. 
He never did it before. He never did it afterwards. He just happened to coincide with me about two hours earlier praying, God, keep me awake. But it's amazing how many coincidences happen when you start to pray. What are we to make of prayer? I think when you start to understand what the Bible has to say about prayer, uh, it will challenge us at all sorts of levels about how this world works, about where God fits and what he's like and how you relate to him and what the Christian life looks like. There's no topic, I think, that is so fundamental to our experience of knowing and walking with God in life. And I want to start by just contrasting, first of all, how other people in the world view prayer. Uh, You think with me on this question, do I really believe God answers prayer? Um, I think people think it's kind of wish thinking that you're throwing up some thoughts to the heavens and, you know, maybe there's something out there that will listen. Now, it's interesting, secular atheists have their own view. I saw this sign put out by atheists. Adults with imaginary friends are stupid. And you can see the signs that they've crossed off, including there the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, uh, and the Islamic faith. In other words, prayer for an atheist, they just think it's kind of wish thinking. That we'd like the comfort of knowing there's someone there, it's like an imaginary friend. And you see, secular atheists, what they hold to is evolutionary theory. Uh, The world is a product of chance, Uh, there's no God, the strong prosper and evolve in their being, the weak are eliminated and destroyed, and there's no God that you can talk to to help you in this world. Uh, Richard Dawkins said this, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. And you see, that's how the world works for those who've got that worldview. But you think about one of the trendy religions in uh, the Western world, Buddhism. Uh, People often think, you know, I'm going to be Buddhist. It's kind of less demanding than the Christian faith. It's not full of rules. Uh, They obviously haven't read much about the Buddhist faith. Uh, It is incredibly demanding when you look at the Eightfold Path uh, that Sutama Gaudata put forward, the Buddha. And you see, the Buddha taught that the way that the world works is that suffering in the world is the direct result of human desire. Uh, All of us have passions and desire. And the problem is we use that to get what we want and it causes suffering. And so what the Buddha talked about was a way to finding nirvana, enlightenment. Now, it's worth saying nirvana is not an unsurfed beach break with no one on it and right hand is peeling off with an offshore wind for those who surf. It's not a deserted island where there's just beautiful coconut trees and you've got your mates and your family there to just kind of live it up and enjoy. Nirvana, to the Buddha, is not a place or a peaceful state of mind. The word actually means blowing out or extinction. You see... To the Buddha, nirvana is the realization that the self actually doesn't exist. You don't exist. In nirvana, there's no physical world. It's a bodiless state of being. Suffering is gone, but so is everything else with it, including us. And you see, prayer for the Buddhist is about meditation to lose yourself. There's no dialogue with a higher being. There's no words. There's rather an emptying yourself. A friend of mine, Kanishka Raphael, grew up as a Buddhist, Sri Lankan family. He said the more he studied it, the more depressed he became. 
He said it was a total denial of relationship and what he thought was primary in our existence. The relating of one to another and then he read about the Lord Jesus who came and loved him and came to Christ. And you see, prayer does not exist. There's meditation, which really is about emptying your mind. But you go to the other spectrum and you look at Islam, which uh, very topical at the moment. They pray and they pray a lot. Five times a day it's mandated for a Muslim to pray. The second pillar of Islam is daily prayer. There are fixed times. There's bodily movements. You have to wash symbolically before you pray. It could be with water. If you've got no water, you can use sand. And this is what the Quran says. Recite your prayers at sunset, at nightfall, and at dawn. The dawn prayer has its witnesses. Pray during the night as well, an additional duty, for the fulfillment of which the Lord may exalt you to an honorable station. You see, uh, prayer for them is ritualized. It's formal. It's communal in nature. And what's fascinating is the word Muslim literally means one who submits. And what they're doing in praying is not requesting, but rather they're submitting themselves to the will of Allah. It's almost a form of spiritual fate. What Allah wills is what you have happen, and you just have to submit to it. Now, I don't agree with Islam. I uh, am not a Muslim because I think the only God who's revealed himself to us in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you and describe for you these three other worldviews to contrast and help us understand the incredible precious thing that prayer is for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, prayer is not wish thinking. Uh, prayer is not silent meditation as you seek peace in your personal world and seek to escape suffering. Uh, Prayer is not a religious ritual whereby you just submit yourself to a God that you don't know personally. The thing you find in Scripture, and we're just going to look at one particular passage, is that firstly, prayer is a relationship. If you've got your Bibles there, John 15 is a profound passage. We're going to just have a look at that and focus there this morning. Jesus says these words, John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, why is it helpful to read that in the context of prayer? Because you see, the whole context of the Christian faith uh, is an organic, if I can use those words, relationship where we know the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, What's with the vine illustration? What's he talking about here? Uh, The vine, and you think of a grapevine, very common in the Middle East and in Palestine. It was an image that was used in the Old Testament about Israel to describe their being the people of God. Isaiah 5 is one of the classic descriptions. And it describes the people of God as being like a vine that was to bear fruit, bear grapes. And Jesus here says, actually, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the true people of God. I supersede, I replace Israel. And God's people are now simply those who are abiding or remaining in me. They're branches that are grafted in. And you see... That's who we are as Christians. It's not by ritual. 
that we join the people of God. It's by relationship with the Lord Jesus that we are brought into the family of God, that we're grafted into the vine, that we belong. And God is our Father. Jesus is our brother as well as our Savior and our Lord, and the Spirit of God lives in us. And you see, prayer issues out of that relationship. The verse we're going to look at in detail is in verse 7. And it's interesting to note what is said there. Let me read to you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And you see, prayer at the most simplest form is this relationship where we are asking as children of the Father. And here's the profoundly simple thing that Jesus says. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, sometimes people debate about whether prayer should be formal or informal. Uh, It's interesting, you see both in Scripture. There are times where people stop and pray what we might call more formal prayers. Now, the prayer we had that Hein prayed actually comes from 1 Chronicles 29, adapted for us in our context. And it was when David gave thanks to God for an incredibly generous offering towards the work of ministry in his day. And so there's a formality about it as we stop and recognize an important occasion and dedicate monies. But yet you might walk out the door here and have a crisis and you will just pray, if I can say, passionately and informally crying out to God. And they're both part of prayer. And you see all of it in Scripture. One of my favorite shortest prayers is from Nehemiah as he's the cupbearer and he shoots up this little arrow prayer just in a moment in Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're just told he prayed. And you see, this is the nature of prayer. We're children. And we're addressing our Father who is God Almighty. And so there's times for awe and wonder and depth and reflection and formality. Yet there's also times because he is our Father who's our Father that we'd simply just cry out. And here's the incredible thing. Because it's about relationship and because God has given it to us, it's effective. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, in case you think this is just a once-off and the rest of Scripture teaches something different, have a listen to some of these verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said, When you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. In other words, you don't need to have a verbosity about your prayer life for it to be effective. He said, no. Um, just ask, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We're just called to simply bring our needs before our Father in heaven. Chapter 7, verse 7, Matthew records that Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. In other words, three different metaphors used to describe the one reality, God will answer your prayers. Here's another one from James, chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he gives an illustration from the life of Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. 
He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, uh, gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. An incredible, miraculous prayer. And it's easy, kind of, if I can say, on this side of the cross to say, yes, well, that was a special Old Testament prophet, um, special dispensation in God's timing. The language that James uses, I think, is very telling. He doesn't say Elijah, who was a special man and a special prophet. He says Elijah, who was someone just like us. And the writer is, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, let me qualify what I'm saying with this. There's no doubt that prayer is more complex than simply asking for A to happen and A happens. God, in promising to answer, may say no. He may say later. He may answer in a way we do not expect him to answer. When you read through the scriptures, you see there's all sorts of ways that prayer gets answered. There's a spiritual warfare that we're caught up in. Ephesians chapter 6, we saw that in Daniel. That the great archangel was delayed in answering prayers because of the spiritual warfare that went on. Jesus told a parable about a woman to keep begging the unjust judge and not to give up, haranguing him. And Jesus says, so it is with prayer. You might not get the answer straight away, but keep persistently storming heaven with your prayer requests. You see, God is in control of all history. He rules the world, and what happens in the world is because he wills it to happen, and he does this without us. But yet in his sovereign wisdom, mercy, and grace, he invites us into relationship with him as his children. And you see, prayer is how that relationship works out. And our prayers don't change God. But God in his sovereign grace uses them to actually accomplish his purposes. And here's the incredible thing. Uh, You see, God rules the world. He is in charge. But the way he is working his purposes out is through us. And one of the ways he does that is that he actually uses our prayers to achieve his purposes. Now, there's a thought for you to think about as you go away today. He actually uses our prayers to achieve his purposes. You see, tomorrow hasn't happened. Uh, Today, it's roughly about, what time is it? Uh, Two past 11. Three past 11 hasn't happened. And there's an infinite number of possibilities about the way God will sovereignly outwork his purposes for three past 11. And in his incredible wisdom and mercy, he uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. He prompts us to pray. And you see, this is the thing. We can have great confidence because we are called to pray by God. He wants to work in our life through prayer because I think there's no other means in the Christian faith that shows us just how much we depend upon him as prayer. You see, when you're praying, you realize actually you've got nothing to control the situation. And everything is in God's control. And we just need to petition him and ask him and call upon him for him to work and move. And because the Son has died for us and opened the gates of glory, we have great confidence that the throne room to heaven is open, that he's listening. 
Because the Spirit has been poured into our hearts, we have great confidence that we can pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and that He will help us pray. Prayer is effective because it flows out of that relationship. But thirdly, we must say prayer is kingdom focus. You need to read those words there. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. In other words, as you go home today... um, By all means, pick up the real estate magazine from yesterday's paper. But that's not what is to guide you in your praying. Oh, look at that house. Great. God, I want that today. (laughs) Deliver it. You see, what you're to have your mind and your will and your heart soaked with is Scripture. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective the one who's walking with god their prayers have power and you see sometimes our prayers are not being answered because of our sin you see that in the psalms and so what we've got to do is soak ourselves in god's word so that his words remain in us and so what we're actually wanting to pray is actually what god's heart is and his purposes And so let me just encourage you today in this couple of ways. What if God really answered prayer? What would that mean for us as a church? I want us to stop and think about that. Because what the Bible is saying to us is this. Prayer is fundamental to our relationship with God. Absolutely fundamental. We're his children and like any relationship... We need to talk. And he wants to be the one who is our provider and our God who is guiding us and caring for us. And he's using us to extend his kingdom. And he says to us in his word, prayer is powerful. Prayer works. We're called to prayer. He wants us to pray and we're to focus on the kingdom of God. And you think about the words of the Lord's Prayer. There's such a great guide for how we are to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our first prayer should be just to acknowledge his greatness, his glory, to worship him for who he is. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that we've got this focus. We want to see your work continue to grow and your will be done in this world. We pray for God's work in the world. But the incredible thing, alongside worshipping God and seeing his kingdom go forward and the gospel go out, He says, and pray for your daily needs. May you have your daily bread provided. May your sins be forgiven. May you be kept from temptation. And you see, this is the incredible thing about God. He's not just running the world. He actually is caring and loving us. And he wants us to partner with him in mission to take the gospel out. But he also wants to be our father who looks after us and for what we need. And so with those parameters, we are to seek God and to pray. And what would our church be like if we really took this to heart? What would our times after church be like? I take it we'd probably spend more time praying for each other than just having coffee and catching up with who won the rugby last night. Don't tell me because I've got it taped. I would like to watch it uninterrupted. But it's not that important. What's really important is that there's probably people here who've got great needs. And you can minister to them by praying for them. 
You see, what's really important is that we together as a church pray for the ministry here and for God to pour out his spirit here in Manly. I keep praying that God would visit Manly in a special way. You see, why do we have 24 hours of prayer? It's because I want us to, if I can say, have an intense period where we focus as a church on praying for God's work here in the parish, for our mission partners in the world and for us as his people. Uh, Why do we start the year for a week having prayer and fasting? And I know some people always look at me kind of, oh, yeah, I might give up coffee. Because I want us to seek God at the start of every year with a passion and a dependence and say, you are most important, more important than even eating and drinking. We go forward on our knees as a church. Why do we want to encourage our small groups to always have times to pray for each other so that there is that real sense of care as we pray? Let me just encourage you with a few prayer things that I've seen. And I could give you lots and lots and lots of examples, but let me just give you a couple. I'll never forget two years ago, I was prompted by God, and it's the only way I could put it, as I drove down to men's group for Band of Brothers. And I was literally round about the Novotel, and there's a guy who'd come here, and he now comes here at five o'clock, helps with the, the, the dinners, called Tony Elmore. And Tony had been through a very difficult period, and I hadn't seen Tony for a while at church or around. And I just was prompted, I believe, by God just to ring him. And I rang him, and I'm on the phone, and you know when you get that ringtone that you go, that's not an Australian ringtone, is it? That sounds like it's an overseas ringtone. How expensive is this call going to be to Tony Elmore, I'm thinking? <laughs> and then he answers, and he goes, is that Bruce? I go, yeah. I said, where are you, Tony? He says, I'm in Malacca in Malaysia. He goes, this is incredible that you're ringing me. He said, I just lost our passports. He's there with his daughter. I just lost my wallet. We've lost everything. And I'm here at the police station, and you're ringing me. He said, all I've got left is my phone and one credit card with not much left on it. And he said, it was like God had just turned up at the police station. And he's trying to work out how to get out of Malaysia and back to Australia with no passports and no ID. And so I prayed for him on the roof of the car park here at church, and I remember praying for him. And he said, after that prayer, he said it was, went from being like this Hollywood disaster movie to like the great race, where all of a sudden doors just started opening. He said they even had a young Muslim girl come up and said to them, you probably need some food. Here's some lunch for you, and you probably need some bus tickets. Here's some bus tickets. Just out of the blue. They got onto the high commissioner from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. That happened on a Wednesday night, Friday afternoon. He was back in the country at work. It all just opened up. And it was just one prompting and feeling moved to pray for him. Last year, we had a significant financial crisis. And it was to do with things I prefer not to go into that were outside of our control as a church and outside the leadership's control as a church. Uh, And no way reflective of the generosity of the people here. And I remember saying to the wardens, um, well, I'll put my hand up to work out how I can raise $50,000. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I thought, I'm just going to pray. And we have a prayer team that meets here every Tuesday. And if you would like to come and join us, it's an open group. Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock, we meet up the back, we sing, we pray. 
and I bring the top 10 prayer points for St. Matthew's Church and we pray through those and we pray for our mission partners, we pray for Mike Baird and we just pray every week. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to have 100. There's a dozen that come. But I know not everyone could make it at that time of the day. And I said to them, we're going to pray Psalm 50, which says, God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, I can be the one who provides. And I shared the need uh, with the church and we just prayed. And I had a check turn up for about $34,000 the next week in the mail from the most unlikely person. You would never know. They're no longer here at the church. And I read that check five times. Has that really got five numbers in it? And I remember just being astounded as God answered in the most miraculous ways. Now, I could keep going on, you see, because these coincidences keep happening when I pray. But they're not really coincidences, are they? They're the living God who runs this world, who's called us to know him. And he says, I want to work in your life. And you need to get on your knees and pray if you want to see that blessing happening. And so, friends, you know what? I reckon of all these messages about the gospel, family life, money, this one's probably one of the most important. Because as I've said every year, we go forward as a church on our knees. I'm going to stop now and we're going to sing and I'm just going to leave just a few minutes to be quiet for us all just to pray and just to seek God in the quiet with your own words, quietly crying out to God. You might want to pray for our mission partners. You might want to pray for this commitment day. You might want to pray for friends in need. You might want to pray for people you know that are sick. You might want to pray for our government. Pray for Mike Baird. You might want to pray for the G20 Leadership Summit. That would be a good thing. But let's just be quiet. And I just want to invite all of us to have a moment and some peace to be quiet under God and to seek him now and pray. Let us pray. I'll close in two minutes' time.
Heavenly Father, we do come before you with awe and wonder. You're the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that's in it. We are your humble creatures. In your great mercy and wisdom and in your incredible grace and love, you've given us your son, the Lord Jesus, and we're now part of your family, adopted through his shed blood, through his resurrected life. We know the reality and the witness of your spirit at work in our hearts and minds, and we pray. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Give us great confidence every day to come to you in prayer knowing that you listen. And Father, work miracles in this church, we pray. Do great things. Extend your gospel. Extend your love. Work in us and through us so that we might be a godly people who go forward on our knees and see you do great things. May there be a wonderful revival here in Manly of the knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ and of service of him. May we see you pour out your spirit upon us in great power. Father, we just thank you that we can come to you and it's not wish thinking. You're really there and you call us to know you. We thank you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.